Welcome to the Samuel Andreev podcast. To support this podcast, please visit the donation page of Samuel's website or his Patreon page. There are links in the description. Samuel's Twitter is at Samuel Andreev. Hello, I did a Q&A video a few months ago that was actually relatively popular, and so I thought I'd do another one. And I put out a tweet the other day just asking if anybody had any particular questions that they might like me to address. So I got one that came in that particularly intrigued me. What's the best way you found to develop your musical thoughts from ideation to finished on paper? So the first thing I'd say about that is it's obviously an extremely individual thing. There's no one way to do it. There's a lot of different composers working in very different directions, and they all have very different approaches to how they actually go about doing their work. In my case, it's something that's evolved over a very lengthy period of time. So generally what happens is I usually begin with an idea for an instrumentation. That's definitely the most important thing. So I actually literally cannot imagine music unless I have a detailed idea of what the instruments are going to be. Once I've determined the instrumentation, then I can start to set about working. So the instrumentation actually determines pretty much everything about the piece. It determines the sound world, it determines the timbre, it determines the types of harmonies and the types of textures that I'm going to be writing. And all of this comes out of not only the actual material sonic characteristics of the instruments I'm using, but also their history and also the associations that these instruments have. So I might choose to work with these associations, writing music that is relatively idiomatic for the instruments in question, or I might choose to work against them and do something that is noticeably unusual for that particular instrument. But whatever it is, I'm working either with or against that idea, that image, that received image of the instrument in question. Once I have the instrumentation, what I usually do is I just sit down at my desk and I start imagining figures and or harmonies that I think would work particularly well with that group of instruments. Rhythmic figures, harmonies, chords, textures, this sort of thing. And I just work them out on pieces of paper, really not knowing what I'm going to do with them. At this stage, I don't know exactly what the form of the piece is going to be. I don't know what the length will be. I have absolutely no idea about that. So I can only start to imagine a form once I have some actual materials that I'm sitting down and elaborating. The form and the what I would call the temporality of the piece, the sort of temporal extension of these materials that I'm developing, is encoded in the very DNA of the sounds that I'm starting to develop at this early stage of the process. So what that means is, if I'm writing a particular chord, that chord will have qualities of relative consonants, relative dissonance, relative thickness, relative sparseness, relative tension, relative relaxation, etc., 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 and those qualities, of course, will become even more pronounced if the chord is embedded in a context of other chords, if it's, if it's part of a sequence or a, a progression of chords. And these sorts of materials have a temporality in them in a certain sense. So they'll suggest a length of piece. Again, I can work with that or I can work against it. So I could take a very rich assortment of materials and do something with them that is somewhat temporally constrained, where it's as though there isn't quite enough time to do them justice, and that can create a particular type of tension that can be interesting. Or I can choose to treat the materials in a way that is completely adequate to their sort of temporal requirements. All of this is actually way less abstract than it might actually sound, because it, it really involves just sitting down and imagining sounds. And so that's also something that I've noticed a lot of people have questions about, because they wonder how anybody can sit down and imagine sounds mentally and write them down on paper without actually using an instrument. Because generally speaking, when I compose, I don't 
do it at an instrument, I, I write at a desk. That's just simply a skill that you develop over time. And I remember when I first started taking composition lessons, my first composition teachers insisted on developing my inner ear so that I would be able to sit down and write and not have to necessarily use a piano to know what I was doing. And that discipline was very difficult at first because obviously you need to be able to hear the intervals very precisely. You need to be able to hear complex sonorities, complex chords inwardly before you write them down. But again, it's something that you can work on. You can train your ear, you can do exercises, you can get good at it over time. It can take a few years, but it's, it's worth developing that skill. So now I'm at a point where I can write quite complex things and have a very, very precise idea of exactly what they're going to sound like mentally before I actually attend a rehearsal or before I hear the piece, which you would think would be a fairly standard requirement if you're going to write something. But there are strands of composition that are conceived in such a way that there's a, there's a highly prospective aspect to them. So this, in other words, the sounds and the temporal trajectories of these sounds are so complex that they need to be worked out on paper beforehand not necessarily being heard inwardly, but in other words, you need to write them down in order to hear them. So that's a that's a, a very different strand of uh, of composition. And I've actually I've I've attempted things like that in the past, but I'm not actually terribly good at it. I actually need to be able to have a precise idea of what something is going to sound like during the act of writing. So. Certain composers would say, well, that's a limiting factor because you can only write down sounds that you are able to imagine. But I don't find that limiting in the least because the, the, the scope of what I am able to imagine is potentially limitless. So I, I really don't find that to be a particular problem. On the other hand, there is also a current in especially 20th century literature and, and music and painting and all sorts of things that involves using externally imposed constraints in order to push yourself in a direction that you wouldn't be able to get to consciously. So in other words, imposing some form of arbitrary restraint, like for example, writing an entire novel without using the vowel E, which has actually been done to tremendous success by the French novelist Georges Perrac. So in other words, you, you invent some kind of absurd constraint, and because you have to operate to best advantage within that constraint, it ends up pushing you in some kind of unusual direction and you end up doing something that you would never have done otherwise. So that actually can be a, a very useful technique. So there's a lot of different approaches that you can take, but what tends to work best for me is imagining these sounds in great, great detail. So I mean, for example, right now I'm involved in writing a cantata for, for soprano and 10 instruments. And I wanted to have an interlude movement. So there'll be three songs and then an instrumental interlude and then the last two songs at the end. And this Instrumental interlude is written for bass flute, vibraphone, celesta, and solo violin. These are instruments that I know extremely well. I know the bass flute inside and out. I know what every register sounds like. I know what a low C sharp sounds like. I know what a, a very high A flat with four ledger lines at the top of the staff sounds like. I know what the dynamic characteristics are, the relative thickness of the overtone spectrum in different registers of the instrument. I also know how I can blend it with other instruments. I know what the relative strength or weakness of a bass flute against a celesta is or against a violin. And I take all of these sonic aspects into consideration as I'm writing. Once I've established these materials and I have an idea of the instrumentation, then the next step is to find some kind of way 
to get from point A to point B, so to speak, within the piece. So in other words, where do I want to start? Where do I want to end up? What is the overall trajectory of the piece? And how do I do that? Again, it really depends on the type of piece because some pieces are going to be directional and or processual in their nature. So in other words, you'll start at point A and through a given process or through a, a given transformation that happens over time, you'll end up at point B through a series of discrete steps. So when you're writing a piece like that, you have to know precisely what the beginning point is and what the ending point is, and then you have to have some kind of a, a motor or some kind of way that allows you to move from point A to point B. Other pieces might be more exploratory and or meditative in character, where there isn't so much a strong directional aspect as an intense focus on the individual moment. So a lot of my pieces actually tend to work more in, in that sense. But even when I'm focused on the individual moment, through the act of composing, I still have to have a sense of how do I connect sound event A with sound event B, and that involves actually the establishment of some kind of a musical grammar or language that I can deploy in the piece, because I don't want to be faced with a seemingly infinite number of choices every time I sit down to write a note. I want there to be walls around the piece, walls around the project, so that there are certain things that fit within the scope of the piece and certain things that don't. That allows me to make meaningful choices. And by meaningful choices, I mean either, again, working with the grain of the piece or working against the grain of the piece. But you can only do that if you have some kind of relatively defined parameters about what can and can't happen. My writing process has a very typical sort of trajectory. It's the same almost every time where it starts out exceedingly painfully, horribly, hideously slow at the beginning. That phase can go on for a couple of weeks, a few weeks. What's going on is I'm actually slowly discovering the potential of the materials that I'm using, what I can do with them, what their scope is, what sorts of development might be appropriate given the nature of those materials. And I know when that process is over because I can start to sort of mentally move these objects around and in such a way where it becomes very fluid and fluent and I have no trouble doing it. And I have such a precise image of what those sounds are going to be and what their expressive characteristics are going to be like and what their sort of emotional impact is going to be. And once I get to that state, that's when I can sit down and actually start to write the score from beginning to end. So the story doesn't quite end there because I tend to write most of my pieces twice. And that's not something that I'm particularly pleased about necessarily. But that's just how it is. I mean, what usually happens is I, I write the piece the first time, it's premiered, it's performed maybe a few times. And then I sit on it for a few months. I come back to it, I look at it again, and I realize, given this material that I now know extraordinarily well because I've actually sat down in a concert hall and listened to it being performed, and I might want to go back to the piece and strengthen it and revise a few things and get it absolutely as good as I possibly can. There's no point for me in putting out a piece of work that isn't 100% as good as it can possibly be. I have no scruples whatsoever about taking something that I've written and either withdrawing it completely or revising it or rewriting it in certain cases and making it even stronger. So the, the entire process from conception to writing the piece, to having it performed, to having it published and recorded and broadcast and everything else that goes along with that. It's actually a very long process. And in some cases, it's been years from the conception to the work being what I would consider definitively finished. So I hope that's a reasonably lucid explanation of how I go about my work. So again, if you if you asked another composer that same question, you, you would get an extremely different answer, no doubt. But that's how I do it. So thanks for the question. And don't hesitate to send in your questions. I'm going to do a series of these question and answer videos. I really enjoy doing them and I love hearing from you.